Did you grow up in the 70s, 80s, or early 90s? Then you might want to tune into Gen X Grown Up, the podcast by Gen Xers who refuse to outgrow the things they grew up loving. Join the Gen X Grown Ups each week to talk media, tech, toys, and games from yesterday and today through the eyes of Generation Xers. You can also enjoy their Backtrack episodes, where they choose a single topic, like The Walkman, and dig in deep to discuss why they remember them so fondly. To find their podcast and YouTube channel, go to genxgrownup.com. George Bernard Shaw said, The reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. His words don't make me think about revolutions per se, but revolutionaries, change makers. This is your host, Craig James, and you're listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. From ancient philosophy to modern science, we'll explore the questions that will shape civilization for years to come. This season on Big Audacious Idea, we're examining what it means to be human and asking the questions that sometimes we forget to ask, such as, what is time? Can ethical questions be answered by science? And do we really die? Questions like these help us examine this thing called life and will spark the big audacious ideas of tomorrow. Our guest today is Dr. Lev Gonick, an internationally recognized leader in innovative technology strategies and solutions. He serves as Chief Information Officer at Arizona State University. Government technology recognized him as one of the top 25 doers, dreamers, and drivers in public sector innovation. Generally, revolutions and revolutionary thinking begin with challenging the status quo. The funny thing is that soon as the quote new thing becomes reality, before you know it, that new thing becomes the next status quo. We humans resist and fight change, yet at the same time become restless without it. Well, maybe everything is different this time. We're amidst a major transformation as a human species, an inflection point and revolution of a new kind. This time around, it's not a revolution in any one area. It's everywhere, everything. We're experiencing political shifts on a global level, technological advancements at breakneck speeds, and we're redefining money, markets, and currency. Today, we discuss these current revolutions and what they might bring. Let's dive in. So if I were to just simply ask you that basic question, Lev, when you think of the word revolution, what does that mean to you? Well, it uh, clearly represents a disruption from the status quo. And as a student of history, as well as a student of technology, my reference here is really around the idea of the scientific revolution as really a, a radical change to the way back in the 16th and 17th century, humans uh, understood the world around them from basically deferring to the church for answers to embracing the scientific method and empiricism. And I think thereafter, and for the last 400 plus years, we've basically been on a journey that uh, was catalyzed uh, that long ago. And I share that context, Craig, because it seems to me that when we want to talk about revolution, we've got to understand the long cycles 
of transformation uh, and understand that there are counter cycles. And when we talk about revolutions, uh, there are obviously social forces and other forces that resist and uh, from time to time are able to resuscitate their status on the on the world stage uh, for uh, you know the ideas of bringing back a glorious past. And again, I think in our own political context in the United States, we, we see some of that going on now, but over the last three or 400 years of human civilization, we've seen this uh, numerous times. You know, what's interesting, Lev, as we talk, is the fact that there's this uh, sort of a yin-yang thing where we crave the new thing, we crave change, we say enough with the status quo, yet at the same time, us humans resist change, right? And there's a push-pull thing here. What an interesting sort of dilemma there I think we have as a humankind. Yes, and I think we reflect on it both in very individual and personal terms, as well as I think, you know, more broadly in sort of societal and and sort of broad cross-cultural terms. And um, I do think that there are different ways of sort of seeing these long waves that I referred to. One of the things that we need to be very mindful of is the two different arcs of activity. One is those who take a look at highlighting the disruptions that episodically dot human history, and the other tradition is for understanding how is it with all of the potential disruption in social, economic, political, technological ways, what are those threads that actually bind us together to actually keep some sense of coherence in what could otherwise be a very disruptive and anarchical kind of reality for folks? And I think that you know, those are things that we understand both personally and individually as well as in, in broader social terms. So interesting. I hear you saying, Lev, that there's this balancing act between the need for progress and change, yet continuity at the same time. And it's an interesting thing to think about that balance. Let's lean toward the disruption for just a minute and make an assumption that it's useful. And I'm projecting that on you. Maybe that's a question. To what extent do you think disruption is intrinsically a good thing, a constructive thing, even though we use the word disruption? I I think obviously that there is a mental dynamic at play that essentially is a kind of oscillation between uh, the need for change and the temptation to solidify that which has changed into some form of order. In the political world, it's a fundamental insight that Max Weber, uh, the, the German sociologist, gave us, and probably other sources as well. In the scientific world, uh, Thomas Kuhn and others sort of have spoken to this, again, this oscillation between change being driven by a a number of important enablers and at the same time a tendency to basically ensconce those things that have changed into uh, order. And I think the same is happening in technology, which I hope we get a chance to talk about because for all the disruption that happens, uh, we see this tendency towards monopolistic behavior in the marketplace. And and, uh, hopefully we can talk a little bit about that, too. So those are all, I think, sort of interesting symptoms of this very broad theme uh, around oscillation between change and uh, the essentially the tendency to stasis, which is about order. 
Seeing revolutionary change depends on noticing disruption. And yet, though disruption causes a variety of new or unknown things to occur, there are still common threads that keep us together. This kind of change meets continuity is a balance. And such a balance is necessary for a healthy society. In a Huffington Post article, the writer Angela Nazarian explores the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And asserts that the answer might not even exist for young children since they will be working in jobs that have not been created as of yet. A hundred years ago, one in three American workers were employed on a farm. Today, less than 2% of Americans are. Yet we produce more food. Markets and mechanisms to markets have shifted dramatically. At one time, Kodak employed over 145,000 people, a massive company. It took over 100 years to get there. Conversely, in almost no time, Kodak files for bankruptcy. A few months later, Facebook purchases Instagram for $1 billion, a mere 18-month-old photo-sharing company at the time. The irony is that Kodak actually possessed, in-house for decades, the digital technology that ultimately crushed them. A technological revolution right under their noses. Yet they missed it. In 10 years, about one half of all job categories will become automated. Humans will need to become better at distinguishing themselves from computers and will need to more intelligently leverage their cognitive dexterity. We should be looking for jobs that can't be automated, such as counseling or human services. The sharing economy and services such as Airbnb and Uber are shifting roles. Producers are now consumers, and consumers are producers. In a nutshell, the rules have changed. Let's talk about technology. It would be interesting even to define how you define the word technology and how it's related to fundamental shifts in the human experience, uh, revolutions of all sort. Uh, one could argue technology is sort of a linchpin to many types of change. So tell me a bit about this this technology thing and how it's affecting the human experience. Yeah, not to be glib about it, but I've always thought in very personal terms that Alan Kay, who gave us so many technological innovations, and one might argue revolutionary innovations like the graphical user interface and the predecessor to the laptop and other things in our in our own era, quipped sometime in the 1980s that technology is something that happens after you're born. And I think that's worth reflecting on because it does also tie us back to this other earlier part of our conversation today, Craig, because it has to do with you know that which is new, disruptive, and creative, and uh, the reality that if you're born into it, then it just seems to be part of the order uh, of things and, and, and less about the disruption. So not to sort of say that that is the quintessential definition, but it, that is kind of, I think, how we humans cognitively process what technology really is to us. I think technology itself is, is a core concept, is really a, a way to think about instrumentation of our efforts to leverage science to advance various and oftentimes competing human needs. We try to harness our scientific insight to create implements, to create engineered products, to create software tools that actually allow us to better take control over or to 
seek to disrupt that which is already controlled through these tools. So technology for me is a, a way of talking about a, a toolbox. It obviously has a broader sort of sociological framing, at least for me, and that's why I, I shared the Alan Kay story. You know, it's interesting. I think in our modern time, we associate technology with a certain picture, usually information communication technology. We picture computer screens and information and the internet, perhaps. But we forget that technology at, at the core is a is a concept that goes back when a stick was technology and graphite was a rare composite that allowed us to transfer information in pencils. That was a technology. Yeah, I think you're, you're exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think in some ways, you know, there's a debate among mostly academics who are interested in the history of scientific and technological revolution as to where the greatest disruptions have been in human history. And as much as we think, perhaps, that we are living in such a time in our day, when you think about uh, the agricultural revolution or the massive transformation of the human condition during the industrial revolution, or even the idea of, you know, what, what transformed when electricity became part of you know, it became a technology that then created all kinds of transformational products and services from refrigeration to pharmaceuticals to brand new transportation systems. These are all interesting in some ways, uh, some might argue more profound than the disruptions that we're experiencing in terms of the impact that it had on, on uh, us as a species. Alan Kay, a visionary in the history of computing, said, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And if you don't fail 90% of the time, you're not aiming high enough. Technology is a mindset as much as it is an actual thing. Technology is leveraging tools, applying tools in innovative ways. We, as humans, drive what technology means and how it can be applied to the benefit of mankind. For example, politically, things are happening faster than ever before due to technology. The American Revolution was almost 200 years in the making. Now, political and social change can happen in a matter of days or months. So technology is not just about technology. It's about technology being a hub in the spoke of human progress. As we look toward the future and think about what might happen, none of us have a crystal ball, but like you said, sometimes we both were saying, sometimes look forward, it's useful to look back. When we think of technology, there's both very positive, optimistic views forward, and then there's some doomsdayers saying, beware, you know, big names saying, let's watch out for this AI thing. And, you know, there's some good things that can happen through technology and not so good things. Are you, are you hopeful or pessimistic or somewhere in between? Well, I am uh, an optimist by sort of my DNA. It's a survival instinct uh, that comes with my people, having survived, uh, you know, lots of constraints over the generations. So I, I am optimistic by my, my very makeup. In retrospect, the technology can be utilized for good, and it almost always is also utilized for other purposes than the noble purposes. And uh, I think we're having that, uh, we're beginning to realize that that's a debate that's happening right now around artificial intelligence. But there are all kinds of other examples in, in health technology and in agricultural technology where one impulse to solve crop availability in India and Pakistan in the 1950s 
creates a opportunity for a hardy and robust seed stock, but it also leads to some of its own contradictions and also then leads to an industry that can dominate the marketplace and around which there's certainly lots of debate. And the same can be said for human reproductive medical science, again, introduced for one purpose, meets the marketplace, and other things and other debates uh, arise from it. If we take the debate, or should I say maybe the judgment of good or bad, goodness or badness of certain evolutions in technology, and more so ponder that the, the thing that's happening now is not that it's good or bad, it's unimaginable because we're hitting such a exponential progression and technological innovation that it's not good or bad. It's like, who knows? It's almost hard for us to begin to imagine what we're going to see going forward. I'd, I'd be interested in, in your thoughts mm-hmm. if it's, quote unquote, different this time around. Well, I, I dare say my reaction is to say that it's always different. Hmm. And I just simply think that there is a inherent chaos and indeterminacy because there is some small issue called the human condition and how humans organize to either take advantage of or to resist technological activity when it hits the marketplace. And I think none of it is, is predetermined. I, I think we see that regularly where incredibly radical ideas are oftentimes singularly unsuccessful in getting introduced into the marketplace, either because there is fundamental resistance to them or simply they were ideas before their time. We haven't talked specifically today about sort of the ethical framework, but again, I I don't think there are any sort of, myself, any sort of absolutes by which to judge. So again, it's, I think it's all contextual, not only to the timing, but to the sort of cultural context. I think, you know, we're spending some time out here in the Southwest beginning to listen hard and to appreciate that the wise elders of the Indian tribes here in the Southwest, especially in Arizona, as they grapple with the impact of technology on their culture, I have a very different appreciation for that today than I did 25 years ago myself. And so I can only imagine that taken to a broader level, that when we take a look at the questions that we've been pondering today, it really does matter not only the geographic and the spatial and the temporal, but also the cultural context and understanding that just really important uh, insights around artificial intelligence or machine learning that you've mentioned today. If you're from one of the tribes, Indian nations here in the Southwest, you know, you don't come up on a Google search. So what, who are you? What are you? Are you invisible? I share that only to sort of ponder out loud with you about understanding that there are, I think, few, if any, universal truths to the question of good or bad. the future. New forms of knowledge are being led by immigrant talent, talent that is not risk adverse. This approach matched with market opportunity is a key driver to innovation and progress. Disruptions often come from the margins, outside the mainstream. Peer-to-peer communication technology is helping connect the previously disconnected and is unveiling unexpected innovation. Centers of innovation are no longer the centers. Innovation and progress are distributed, diverse, and varied. What are some of the places where there's budding activity around inventive thinking? Uh, What are some of your thoughts there? Well, I think one of the things that I've had the privilege uh, of participating in is, is realizing that it's actually human ingenuity 
that knows no boundaries, where actually a lot of amazing thinking goes on. I think there's a fascinating 25-year project underway in Israel. Uh, I've had a chance many times to basically try to understand the dynamics there. Again, talent, again, much of a new immigrant talent who are not risk-adverse, on the contrary, are prepared to stake it all on an idea. And then, uh, obviously, uh, to a smaller degree, understanding of the marketplace. In countries like Ukraine, you see a lot of uh, interesting uh, innovation work. I think you know, Craig, that I spent some time in in countries like uh, recently in Cuba. Uh, Fascinating to see uh, in a highly constrained environment in the area of biomedical just what amazing innovation is going on in, in that country. And again, to varying degrees elsewhere. But I think if there's a general thesis I have, I don't know what you would say, but you know, it's this combination of talent, especially talent that is not risk adverse, combined with market savviness, understanding on how to take products to market. And I know from your background, at least some of that probably resonates. I've been pondering lately whether this idea of disruption makes the place or the place makes the disruption. Yeah. So that's a really interesting thesis there. And and again, I think in the world of technology, there is certainly some of that that we can actually reflect on in our own times. But I would say more broadly, the point that you're raising, I think, which is really quite interesting, is that oftentimes, because of this counter-tendency towards orderliness, Sometimes the disruptions that do come, come actually from the margins, from outside of the mainstream. And, you know, when we take a look at kind of the impact of things like peer-to-peer technology and impacts around telephony and impacts that are going on in disruptive software-defined networks, I think your point is well taken that actually a lot of that disruptive innovation is coming from places other than what are today the sort of centers of uh, innovation like Silicon Valley. People find their way to Silicon Valley because of capital and markets, but many of the disruptive ideas are happening in the Nordic countries, interestingly enough, in parts of Eastern Europe, Australia, and other parts of the world who are, you know, both geographically on the margins of these traditional knowledge networks. And it's interesting to at least think about why a lot of the kinds of technology revolutions that I've mentioned, like peer-to-peer and voice over IP, and and now, interestingly enough, blockchain, a lot of that core disruption is happening at the margins. Uh, and so I take your point. You know, it's um, a lot of words in our society that are popular at one point then become clouded and distorted, or at least meaningless because we use them so much innovation, collaboration, yeah. and so on. And it's it's dangerous because we perhaps forget the power of the incarnation of those terms. Collaboration sometimes can sound fluffy or open can sound fluffy, but it's it's not. I mean, you know, it's interesting to study the science of our, our very bodies that, you know, throughout evolution, our cells had to figure out how to, or we're going to have to hang out together and figure out how to work together to make this thing stand up and walk. And uh, human and science systems are the same. I, I find it fascinating when we look, uh, we sort of wax on historically a little bit here. And you mentioned the scientific revolution. Uh, my understanding is, is that the origin of the scientific revolution was indeed built 
on open sharing and collaborative mm-hmm. science, or it wouldn't have happened. And this more recent publish, protect IP thing, closed, mine, not yours, is actually a barrier to progress to the point where some of the innovations that are now happening are reinventing and going back to the way it was with open science. And the Craig Venter Institute, if I understand correctly, forced, you know, we're going to work together to sequence the human genome. So I think it's fascinating how when we look forward, sometimes we need to look back and remember some of the things that worked in the past. Yeah. And I I do think if I can just sort of tie a theme to the beginning of our conversation today, Craig, is I think that there are ways of organizing humans, depending on whether or not you think disruption is inherent or whether or not you think order is inherent. And I think I think the initial impulse at Apple and the initial impulse at AT&T was that order was to be valued at all, at all you know, essentially at all costs, because you could control the, the experience. And, and I think everyone who believes in, again, either implicitly or, or explicitly understands that that is valuable. However, you know, it does lead to its own contradictions. And I do think that open innovation is the impulse. Again, I think much of it in our day comes from really the open source community, which saw the difference between the orderly fashion, oftentimes in terms of images portrayed as the, as the church, and the alternative in the open source world of ideas coming from the open market, and by which I mean kind of the traditional market of the Arab world, for example, in Morocco or wherever, where it seems to be incredibly messy and indeterminate, however amazing that transactions and human interactions take place that lead to outcomes. And I think that that is essentially just in the inherent part of of the conversation about revolution and counter-revolution and order and disruption. I think that those are all part of the human condition. And while there's a lot of political rhetoric that is strident, I think uh, the more informed view is that these are, again, oscillating elements that are guardrails in our human condition. Which segues beautifully, Lev, into the uh, last segment of our conversation. You know, we've chatted about this idea of revolution of different flavors, good or bad. We've talked about the places and the people maybe that might be the ones that help catalyze revolution. We've talked about the uh, elements and ingredients that might foster disruption in a positive way. And now to the future. What's the future hold in your mind? What's next? Well, I think first to share a slightly pessimistic view, and then I'll end with the optimistic view, which is, you know, the one that I truly hold near and dear. The pessimistic view is that actually our cognitive ability to absorb the pace of change and the scope of change has basically brought us to a point where, in thinking about this as an analogy to a sponge, the sponge is full. Our brains cannot process anywhere near as fast as the new disruptive technology comes forward. And I think in some regards, that is likely to not only lead to slowing down the technological revolutions, it is likely, I think, to also lead to resistance. Because I think there will be more and more parts of societies all over the world who will feel that they are actually being left out. I think the you know the upside here is that there are just in my view, so many important human challenges left to be solved for. Issues of overcoming poverty, uh, health disparities, preparing for new workforces, uh, the needs of the new economy, continuing to deal with agricultural diversity and productivity. 
looked at it on a global scale, there are just, I think, an enormous number of continuing, growing challenges that we face as a human species. And I am incredibly optimistic that applied appropriately with careful deliberation, or at least some deliberation, we're likely to continue to be successful, or at least modestly successful, in attempting to harness our technologies to address those human conditions. And I do hope that we are more intentional about harnessing the amazing human ingenuity that when interfaced with technology, capital and markets can really change the human condition. We think about those opportunities and we try to do more of that and a little bit less about the crass commercial and trivial ways in which we can tweak our technology to meet very narrow and very, I would say, immediate gratification for which, of course, there's a huge market, but around which I'm hoping, as people understand the impact that we can have on Mother Earth itself, uh, that we realize just how important the calling is uh, and that we respond to the opportunity. You know, part of my curiosity, I love your insight. You know, what could listeners do if they're part of a, a company or a lab or an organization or a nonprofit and they want to uh, tap some of the juice that creates constructive disruption? Are there habits? Are there tricks? Are there techniques? I backdrop it with some of, of the conversations we've had through the years and how you've affected change in Cleveland with one community and other efforts and how you got, you created this great, huge infrastructure high-speed connectivity, but it didn't matter until it was harnessed and applied. Mm -hmm. So what are the things we can apply from your experience? You know, one of the things that I, I certainly want to share is that technology in its most radical form today for me is still around, I would say, a fairly important value, which is the idea of democratizing access to knowledge. And I really do think that that is a radical idea. I think it carries on the tradition from the 16th century where knowledge was scarce and around which we created huge amounts of human institutions that to this day we have physical instantiations of. Classrooms, for example, are largely an instantiation of the old uh, church model where, you know, somebody with the book and the knowledge uh, preached to, to the commoners. That's still the way most classrooms are run today. You know, with the radical way in which access to information can be democratized, I think there are new challenges, for, especially for educators, to rethink our models and to take advantage of the opportunity to play new roles in the journey of discovery, other than the idea of transmitting information. So I think that that's a, a piece that I'd love to share with your listeners. And you're a good mind reader, because certainly as we close conversations like this, I'm always interested in what challenges we may have for our listening audience. And I think we heard you clearly state a couple things, democratize, open, add a third. I like threes. What other thing would you challenge our listeners to think about? Well, again, open, democratize, and co-produce. The idea here, I think, that is radical in our day is the idea that we can co-create and co-produce value in a way that is in human history unprecedented and we have to beat back the i think a lot of the market tendency which is to keep us largely passive and largely in the ingesting mode i think the radical idea around the notion of becoming activists 
is actually activists in our daily lives, in our community lives, in our social political lives is more possible now than ever. And that is going to take a kind of leap of understanding because I think so much of the last 50 to 75 years of our lives, especially in our part of the world, has put us on the couch in a passive mode and uh, the most untapped part of the technological revolution that we are now a part of is the idea of mobilizing around the opportunity. And I'll leave you with a call to action. As we look to the future and foster healthy revolutions, we need to democratize, be open, co-produce, and co-create. Thank you for joining Big Audacious Idea this season. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us, and we look forward to hearing your Big Audacious Ideas. Find us on social media to continue the conversation, and if you like what you've heard, help us spread the word. This is your host and co-executive producer, Craig James, and you've been listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps. A special thank you to my co-executive producers, Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, Bridget Coyne. Editor, Julie Fink. Audio engineers, Eric Coltnow and Andrew Balserzak. Music director, David Allen Moss. Big Audacious Idea is a production of Evergreen Podcasts and Front Porch Media. Find us on your favorite podcast app or go to evergreenpodcasts.com. Big audacious idea. See the big picture. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.